Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Sunday morning service uh, through our live stream. Trusting that all is well with you as you are still in your home in uh, Jesus' name. And before we jump into the Word of God, let's uh, posture our hearts in the place of prayer and ask Him to help us by the Spirit of God. Lord, uh, you know our situation. And you know how this is even still a little uh, fresh to us. And we just ask now that you would help us hear from you, that you would help us communicate, you would help us understand your word. Lord, more than anything, we don't need uh, the right graphics, we don't need the perfect sound, we don't need all these different um, tricks, Lord. What we need right now, more than anything, is your presence. We need your power, we need your voice, we need you to help us. And so, Lord, as we expound your word, do what you need to do to our minds and our hearts to understand your will and then to conform to it. Lord, even in this moment, we ask for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would rest upon the ministry of this word. And that, Lord, it would be driven into our hearts and changes as a result. We wait on you and we look to you. Assist us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I can tell you this, I am eager to, again, see you. I know I say that every time we come on the live stream. And I am eager even to um, communicate God's truth in person. Uh, as much as this is a blessing, it's so much more different to look at the eyes of those that you love instead of a camera. Um, but uh, you see me, and hopefully that's okay with you. And I want to take the time to speak on something that perhaps we've all been feeling in our hearts over the past few weeks. If you are part of this local church, United Evangelical Church, um, you're well aware that we meet at least three times a week. Uh, some meet twice out of those three meetings, some meet once out of those three meetings. Some have different circumstances and family lives that uh, permit them to do one or the other. But for many, they meet every single one of those meetings, the Wednesday prayer meeting, the Friday night Bible study, the Sunday morning service, and on top of that, they meet outside of those meetings. And it's a wonderful thing because I'm sure you can testify uh, to what I can testify to the fact that this church is like a family. This isn't like a drive-through church where you come and get what you want for half an hour and leave with something of an emotional stirring. No, this is a family. It's a concrete, solid body that is uh, intricately woven into one another's lives. And that's a blessing. It is a tremendous treasure that God has blessed us with. And as you're well aware, it went from three times a week to now coming to almost a month and a half of none of that. And we still have a few weeks to go where we are isolated from one another. I bring that up because some have brought up and entertained the possible threat of what this prolonged online church might do to some. Uh, these are not threats that are within our local church necessarily. It might, it might be a temptation to some. But some leaders of different local churches who are experiencing what we're experiencing have been voicing through blogs and different things of, of what this prolonging of online church, the way we've been engaging even, can be an actual threat to some if they're not careful. And what might be that threat exactly? The threat is that 
by being so used to what's been happening and by even being blessed to a certain measure of receiving God's word through the live stream, through social media platforms. And not only that, we know that we are able to even engage. We can communicate through these different outlets. It's possible that some might think, you know, this isn't as bad as I thought it would be. There might be some who might even think more than that and say, this is actually more convenient to me. This is actually a lot more comfortable for me. I mean, what can be better than rolling out of bed five minutes before the live stream, still with a crust in my eyes, and being able to watch a sermon and scroll through my social media and eat my breakfast and still stay in my pajamas? Or some might say, you know, with my busy schedule, this is, this is really fitting and I'm still receiving something and I'm still keeping in communication with those that I call brothers and sisters. No matter how much of a blessing this has been, and we are living in uh, such a unique time of history where the Word of God can go forth to millions of people in one moment, no matter how much of it is uh, something of, of benefit, this is not the way God intended church to be done. And I'm not saying that because this is a threat to us. I mean, again, it might be a temptation for some. But what I want us to do is to understand God's standard for the church to a certain degree. Not that we would be discouraged further because we're not experiencing His standard at this moment. But that we would have a a, a built-up understanding of the beauty and the wisdom behind why God wants it to be the way He wants it to be. Somebody wrote it um, in this way, and I thought it was beautifully said, that what we are experiencing today, these online services, is a circumstantial compromise. It is not an ongoing convenience. Let me say that again. These online services that you and I are experiencing, that other local churches are experiencing, are a circumstantial compromise. We are forced in some way to do this, but they are not an ongoing convenience. That is crucial in our understanding. And we have to understand one thing, that we even vocalizing how much we miss each other is a beautiful thing. And that's why I personally do not think it's a threat to many, because we have been um, longing to see each other and we've been voicing that over and over again. But I want to, I want us to think further than that. We can miss each other for many reasons, but perhaps we are limited in our understanding of the depth of the spiritual value that face-to-face, person-to-person, regular, consistent meeting with one another actually carries. It's um, the impression that we get from the New Testament writers too, is that meeting together physically is something to be longed for and is something to be kept and protected. And that if there's any hint of separation, that it would cause an ache in the heart of the true believer, even if there's conveniences with that. Let me give you an example. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I want us to see Paul's language and what we're talking about, and maybe we can echo what he feels. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, But since we were torn away from you, he says, he's talking to the Thessalonian church, But since we were torn away from you, Brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. 
Now, look at the wording he's using here. And notice that the first thing he says is that he was torn away from the Thessalonians. That's strong language. That's almost like you forcefully ripping something apart that's supposed to be connected. And that's what he says concerning his relationship with them, that he was torn away, implying that there was something outside of him. There was something overpowering him that forced him and that limited him from having the freedom to be able to meet with them on a regular basis. And this is something that we see in the next verse is caused by Satan, actually. Because he says, I tried to come to you over and over and over again, but Satan hindered us. Now, we don't know how Satan hindered him. We don't know what he did specifically. But Paul received the revelation that as he was trying to find his way towards this church, the enemy continually put roadblocks and hindered him. What I want us to focus on is Paul's attitude towards the separation that he was experiencing with the believers. And it's an important one because it it shows the value that he places on the church meeting together the way God intended it to be. He's trying to say essentially that the only reason why I shouldn't be meeting with you and the only reason why we shouldn't be meeting with one another is only on the basis if we are actually being torn away from each other. That if we are being forcefully dragged outside of our control and are being overpowered by something outside of us that is causing us not to be able to see each other face to face. That is incredible. Because we have to admit that there are some people who have to be dragged to get to church. Never mind dragged away from church. Paul said, no, listen, you don't have to drag me to go to church. You have to drag me away from my church for me not to meet with them. That should be convicting because surely for Paul to say this implies that he understands something of the value, again, of the local gathering. And so he wasn't comfortable where he was at. In fact, look what he was saying here. Um, He was saying with his language here that he endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see them face to face. That is language of desperation. That is language of priority. That is language of revelation. To know something of the beauty of being in the presence of other believers. Now, he was separated, it says, for a short time. So just because it was a short time didn't mean that Paul kicked back and relaxed and said, well, it's a short time, so uh, we'll, we'll get back together and we'll just, we'll just return to the way things were and we'll just go off where we left off. No. Even though he was separated for a short time, Paul still made the effort, as we've talked about before, to remain in contact and to give a source of encouragement and exhortation towards the believers, even though he was at a distance. And that's what he's doing with this letter. He's staying in communication with these believers by writing to them. So this is his modern day Zoom. This is something that he was able to do. This is his social media outlet, so to speak. But nevertheless, as much of value and importance this was, he still knew, oh no, to be with you face to face is what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm fighting for. That's what I'm That's what I'm fighting Satan for. Can I ask you something? Do you feel that way about the local church? I pray with all of my heart that once things change again, and we're able to meet, that we would never treat the meeting the same way again. That we would never think so lightly of what it's like to walk into that building on a Friday night, or on a Sunday morning, or on a Wednesday evening, 
Uh, I don't think Satan has to fight many Christians in the West not to go to church. I think they found many different ways to uh, excuse themselves from coming to the meeting. That is foreign to the understanding of the New Testament Christians. And so, what did Paul have as a revelation for him to think this way, to feel this way? Did he know something that we didn't know? Did he have some secret uh, insight to the local church? No, it's sprinkled all over the New Testament. And I present to you at least a few points to why, listen, this right here does not substitute, nor is it equal to you getting in your car, driving to church, shaking hands, giving hugs, sitting beside somebody, hearing from a person in the building, getting up, shaking hands, and fellowshipping. Nothing will replace that, no matter how much of a convenience this is. Why? The points I want to bring up are things that cannot be equated to the blessings that we are experiencing now. In other words, the, the things that we want to surface from the scriptures are what the physical gathering offer that this cannot offer, that YouTube church does not offer, that uh, fill in the blank offers. It's something that not only promotes the physical gathering, but a consistent and a commitment to the physical gathering. Here's number one. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. And let's look at verse 7 to see an important point. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, we get an insight to why it is important to meet physically, at least one angle from it. The author of Hebrews says to these Hebrew Christians, remember your leaders. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Now, if you would stop there, uh, we, we don't have a point to make. Uh, because he goes on to say why they should remember their leaders. But if he were to stop, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, we would say, well, I, I can get that from going on YouTube. Um, uh, there, there are so many better preachers even and greater studies on YouTube than perhaps my local church. And so um, I'm actually more blessed by these things. And I'm not shooting down YouTube sermons or YouTube preachers, I've been greatly blessed by men of God who don't even live now and have been recorded based on their messages and have been blessing blessings to me. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. No, he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And then he says two things after that, that are in line with the relationship that you might have with somebody who invests in you the spiritual truths from the scriptures. The first thing he says is consider the outcome of their way of life. Think about that. He means here that the preacher and teacher of any local church must also be a person who lived among the people. Who was among them. Who was there. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament and you see the tabernacle going through the wilderness, I challenge you because there's a portion of scripture in the book of Numbers, that tells you the placement of where the different tribes would be whenever the tent would park. Whenever the cloud would say, you're stopping here, they would have to be placed specifically around the tabernacle. And what you actually see is that the Levites, the priests, the teachers of the law, were parked right by the tabernacle. They were surrounding the tent. They were in close proximity to the place of worship. And for different reasons, one of the main reasons was to protect from people just coming in and waltzing in and being casual. They would set a standard and they would protect it physically. 
But that says something. The fact that the Levites were so close to the place of worship implies that they were near to the house of worship and near the people who would come and worship. And so what do we see here? Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider their outcome. How can I consider the outcome of somebody's life if my relationship to them is simply through a screen for an hour a week, for maybe two hours a week? This is telling us plainly that the pastor or the elder of a church must live amongst his people, not just to preach them and to teach them, but to embody the message and to display to them as an example of what it means to live the very thing that I'm preaching. And so they must have some certain exposure to the people that they're ministering to. And the people must have some kind of exposure and availability to their personal lives, to a certain extent, to know if they are living what they are preaching. Now, why is that? Because the authority of any message being declared is in proportion to the authenticity of the messenger. See, for this to actually carry some kind of power and weight is not based on gifting. It's not based on insight and knowledge. That's certainly true. There is a level of that. But how much more when you see a person regularly preaching and teaching, and then you see that their lives are backing up the message that they're declaring, how much more weight, how much more conviction is there? And that's the way God designed it to be. That the person that you would be sitting under who would preach to you, would also display to you how they should live it out so that you would have a model to follow and you would have an encouragement to look to and say, hey, if this person who's flesh and blood like me can live out the things that he's preaching and I can see that clearly, then it's possible for me. You can't get that from having a relationship with a pastor online. You can be blessed by the insights concerning the word of God, but the power for the word to be driven into your heart was designed by God to be lived out before a people continually. That's why when people think that they can just be distant from the church and say, well, I get so much more blessing from just hearing messages, uh, you're actually robbing yourself of greater blessing. Because he says here that you should consider the outcome of the way of life. When you see a pastor, how he communicates with people in the church, when you see his social abilities, when you see how he responds to crisis, when you see how he treats his wife and how he raises his children, you get something from that. And we need that as a sheep. We need to be exposed to leaders who live the message out before us so that we can do the second thing. He says, consider the outcome of their way of life. And what does he say? Imitate their faith. So leaders must live in such a way in which their lives are worth imitating. Leaders are to be above reproach and to give people a standard to meet. Well, no, he's a pastor and he's this and he's that. He's going to live differently than me. No. You know, oftentimes we go to those scriptures that talk about the qualifications of an elder. Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, and we go, that's for pastors. It's true, it is for pastors, but it's really a model for all people. We can't just say that's for pastors, for them not to be lovers of money, not to drink too much wine and and to be respectable. Is that really just for leaders? No, the leaders, yes, are called to a standard, but they are also to live it out so that the people can say, that's something that I must imitate as well. You can't get that again from this. It's something that is fleshed out and something that can be measured and studied and then again to be inspired by. Um, I, I want us to see this in 1 Thessalonians 2, again, in the first verse that we talked about in chapter 2. But look at verse 10, just to see an example of this, of 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 10. Look what, look what is said here. 
You are witnesses. That's what he says. You are witnesses. These leaders are saying that. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So he's telling these believers, you can testify of how we lived amongst you. You can see from every corner of our lives that we are in fact holy, righteous, and blameless. But then he goes on to say the next things. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Do you see the connection there? He goes, you are witnesses of how we lived. That is important. And then he goes on to say, and we exhorted you and we preached to you and we charged you and we discipled you to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Well, you can't really charge people to live in a certain way and expect them to live in a certain way unless first you are embodying what you want them to be. You have to first give them a reason to hear you out. That's why he says, you're witnesses. He goes, there's nothing in us that you can say, no, no, no. And he goes, because of how we lived among you, now we have the authority to speak into your life. And we can show you that it is possible. So, the local church, this is important, in the physical gathering, offers inspiration and guidance to God's people through God-appointed leadership. Inspiration and guidance comes that when you come into those church doors and you have a relationship with the leaders there, there is something offered to you that is greatly needed for our sanctification. Be mindful of this wonderful truth that even God Himself came into our world, took on flesh, and lived out the life that is an example for you and I. Even God Himself came into our world, yes, to die for our sins, but also to be able to say to us, follow me, imitate me, look to me. And that's what we do. We look to Christ who took on flesh and we see how he responded and lived according to the Father's will. And we go, that's my standard. And those who are under the chief shepherd must do the same. And you and I as the sheep must be able to link ourselves to such people by the local church. So the first point I want to make is that the physical gathering provides us examples to follow. And again, you can't get that from Facebook Live. Number two, not only examples to follow in the spiritual sense, but secondly, that in the local church are reserved manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse 7 to understand what I'm trying to say here. Paul in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, is honed in on teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. And he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, a specific phrase that is so pregnant with truth. It says here, to each, he's talking about believers, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is glorious for the church to understand. He says, each believer has been given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. It's been granted. It's been deposited. It's been given into you at the moment of salvation. Something has been checked into your heart and mind of a supernatural value and worth. And he's saying here that that thing that's been given to you and me, listen to the power of this, contains the ability to manifest 
an aspect of the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. Each person, not just leaders, not just pastors, not those who just speak the word, each has been given the ability to manifest a component of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? Again, it means that each born-again, blood-washed Christian has the ability and the responsibility. The ability and the responsibility to do what? To share something of supernatural value so that others around them would experience supernatural goodness. It's an ability and a responsibility. In what way? Well, you look at verse 4 and it says, variation of gifts and variation of services and variation of activities. It's in different ways that these manifestations of the Holy Spirit make themselves known in the context of the local church. So let me give you an illustration that will hopefully make this clear concerning the responsibility element. I have siblings. I grew up with my siblings and we were all close in age. So we did a lot of things together. And, um, I'm not saying this actually happened. I'm just saying here's an illustration. If you have siblings, perhaps you can understand uh, where, where I'm going with this. It's a simple illustration of a father who would give, let's say me, $50. And he told me strictly, he gave me instructions, says this $50 is for you and your three other siblings to go and grab lunch. I'm giving you this deposit so that you can go and you can provide for the rest of your brothers and sisters something to eat. Okay, so, so that deposit has a goal. There's an intention behind that deposit. But can you imagine if he gave me that $50 bill and I agreed to that, or uh, perhaps I was ignorant of his instructions either way. Can you imagine if I took that $50 and in my own heart, I said, I'm not going to tell my brothers and sisters that dad gave me this $50. And then I went off uh, to only spread that $50 out for the rest of my week to know that I can have lunch at my favorite restaurant during my school semester, and they knew nothing and they didn't receive anything from that $50. What would you think of such an act? Whether you're ignorant of it or whether you uh, chose deliberately not to do so, that is purely selfish, right? That is purely motivated for my own needs to be met. And we look at that and we understand that principle and we almost uh, rebuke such a thing and we scorn at such an act. And yet we are hesitant to do so when we translate that principle in the spiritual sense, in God's economy and with spiritual currency. See, I give that illustration to say that God has given you and me something. He's given us a certain amount of a gifting a deposit for the purpose of sharing it with our brothers and sisters. God did not give us a portion of the Holy Spirit and his, and his abilities so that we ourselves will be blessed. Yes, we'll be blessed in the process, but the goal is always outwards, is always towards those around us. And it is equally just as selfish to say, well, I'm saved, I have the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to intentionally and prayfully invest in other people's lives because of fill in the blank, the reason why. So when people think to themselves that they don't have to bind themselves to a local church, again, it's like receiving $50 from your father as a teenager and choosing to keep that, all that money for yourself when he says, go and share with your siblings. Here's a verse for us to understand that. 1 Corinthians 14, remember the same context of the gifts of the Spirit being exercised 
and practice in order. In 1 Corinthians 14.26, look what Paul says. What then, brothers? He's like, so so what, what am I trying to get at concerning my teachings on the gifts? When you come together, again, coming together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Each person is coming to the gathering with something to give, with something to offer. And that can range from a sermon being preached to an encouraging message and everything in between. That can go from uh, counseling somebody on the side with the wisdom that God has given you. That can go from financial giving because you've been given uh, uh, an extension of mercy in your heart and compassion in your heart and a giving heart to give. It can be anything. But every person who calls themselves a Christian, when they come together, specifically in the church gathering, is coming to give something that's been deposited in them. See, you're familiar with this, so I'm not going to tell you something new that we have been plagued in the West with this consumer mentality where it's the opposite. We're coming to get something. And if we don't get it, we go to another church that's going to give it to us. What would it look like if every person came to a church with the mentality to say, no, I'm going to give something. Everybody's going to be blessed, including the one who gives. And so Paul, by the Spirit, is trying to get them to understand that the gifts of the Spirit are not for your selfish purposes. And part of that understanding is that you wouldn't do it the way you think you should be done. He goes, no, there has to be order or else people are not going to be blessed if there's chaos. And then he goes on to say in this little verse, and when you come together, you're giving something. You're giving something for what purpose? The last part of the verse. Let all things be done for building up. That will be the experience every Friday night, every Sunday morning, when we choose to come to church, prayfully thinking and meditating upon how we can give. Coming to church not necessarily to be filled with the Spirit, but already filled with the Spirit to pour out to others. And you know what will happen? And perhaps you've experienced it. You will leave the meeting feeling full. Have you ever experienced that? When you leave the church, you are built up. You came in one way, perhaps. Perhaps you were so beaten up, you didn't even, you didn't even think about how you can give. But just because you came to a church that tries and prayfully seeks to know how they can bless one another, you're leaving built up. And that's what we continually want to experience on a weekly basis. But it's going to require this understanding that I've been given something, so I'm going to now give it to others. By the way, this is a side note. This is a great verse to gauge another aspect of your life. And so pay attention to this. This is just a side note. Would you like to know how you can measure if your circle of friends is the will of God for your life? Would you like to know how the people that you choose to call best friends, your, your group of people that you seem to be more connected to, do you want to know if they are the will of God for your life? I think this verse is a beautiful example. Ask yourself this. When I come together with them, am I being built up in my faith? Or is my faith being torn down? When I come together with them, during the day, let's say, on a Saturday afternoon, Do I come home at night with my love for God assaulted and me being pulled back from a greater devotion to God? Or am I coming back home with a freshness that's been given to my faith because of the fellowship of others? He says, when you come together, let all things be done for building up. If you hang around with people who call themselves Christian and you leave with your flesh aroused more than your faith being built up, you got to reconsider your group of friends. doesn't matter if they go to church every week. 
Think about that for a second. That doesn't mean that when you hang out with your friends, all you do is read and pray and fast and you can't do other things. No, it means that you walk with people who walk with Jesus. So no matter what environment you're in, whether you're playing sports or going out to a restaurant, because Jesus is the center of their lives, you have Jesus in the midst of that fellowship. Just a little nugget there that has nothing to do with this sermon necessarily, but maybe somebody needed to hear that. Let's think another point here. Not only do we have to give something, but I think this verse of each one being given the manifestation of the Spirit should inspire the person who longs for the manifestations of the Spirit. What do I mean by that? Are you a person that has ever prayed, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to be more real to me. Lord, I want your nearness. I want you to draw close to me. I want to experience your voice. I want to experience your power. Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever longed for that? Have you ever ached for that? Saying, God Almighty, make yourself more clear and more obvious in my life. Lord, do something in me in such a way that it will edify me and encourage me and strengthen me to live a godly life for your glory. Have you ever prayed that? If you have prayed that, and I, I, that's a prayer of my heart, longing for that and, and, and seeking God for that on a personal level. But I remember even in the midst of reading 1 Corinthians, and I've read it a few times, but one time I remember reading uh, this specific chapter and this verse popping up to me in a way that it's never had before. And remember, it says, To each has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And I remember reading that verse and this thought came to me. If you want to know greater manifestations of the Spirit, get around people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to know greater manifestations of the Spirit, get around those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, because Paul says each one has been given the ability to unveil and unpack and almost release something of the Spirit of God that you will benefit from. And I never saw this verse the same way again. And I never saw the local church the same way again. See, God in His wisdom designed the church to be, listen to how profound this is, that those who would long for Jesus Christ to be more real in their lives would have to link themselves to the local church in order to experience it. So it's not a subjective thing. You know, people say, well, I just need me and Jesus and Jesus is more real to me and I can have church in my own house and I can just do my own thing and walk with Jesus. Hold on. Are you a person that wants more of Jesus? Oh yeah, I do want more of Jesus. I long for him. I want to know his voice. I want to see his face. Well, Paul says that there's a manifestation of the spirit reserved in the context and within the bounds of you committing to a local church with a, with a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. So even something of experiencing of God cannot be attained apart from the body of Christ. So you see that even Jesus, in being the head of his body, has made something of his person available to us only if we commit to meeting with the brethren regular. And I can tell you that one of the most um, personal and impressing moments of my life concerning God making himself real was through other vessels, was coming to a prayer meeting, even if it was a handful, and as though we went to the throne room together, like in Isaiah 6. I can tell you people who are sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit, coming to a church gathering, and then approaching me with a word of wisdom or an encouragement, something that was experienced in the house of worship, and I can testify a journal full of moments that God has used people 
maybe even people that I don't necessarily know, even, even if I went to a different churches just to go and worship God, the body of Christ, how wonderful, how beautiful it is. I'm telling you, if you do not value the body of Christ, you do not value the manifestations of the Spirit of God. Lastly, we can speak about another component of what the phys- physical gathering brings, and that is spiritual protection and restoration. Spiritual protection and restoration. I am in no means uh, deep in my medical understandings of how the body works, but I am aware enough of the the, the beauty and the uh, amazing aspects of the human body. I remember the first year when I got saved, uh, a moment in my life, it was like an epiphany, where I realized how complex and how my own body is like a machine unlike any other thing. And it, and it took me back because I realized, uh, though I was saved, it strengthened my faith even more to see that I am created by somebody and to see how things function and flow and all these different matters. I go, God, you are amazing. The body alone testifies of your glory. I remember even having a conversation with my roommate about that and he laughed as though I just realized that I was created or something. As though I realized that the human body is an amazing thing. I said, can you, ima- can you understand how glorious this is? The fact that I can see through these things and I can taste things and all these different things. And he kind of laughed at me as though I was just um, new to this or something. But have you ever considered the ability for the body to heal itself? Have you ever considered that? Um, maybe you've experienced it on a small level where you've cut your finger or something and it was an open wound and you closed that wound and I don't know how it works in the body but all I know one thing is that if I've cut my finger and I have many times before over a few period of days it begins to collect skin and there's a scab there and then over time the brain is doing what it needs to do and then all for a sudden fresh skin covers that wound. And, and it's amazing how one part of my body can be harmed and the rest of my body is being aware of that and now is doing what it needs to do in order to heal that. And we look at that in the physical sense and we're in amazement. And this is one of the advantages of being a member of the body of Christ. That you and I get to experience a spiritual nourishment, a a spiritual protection, and even in some cases, restoration. But if I cut this hand off, and it's there laying on some table, you can cut that hand all you want. But because it's not connected to the body, the brain is not able to signal to the rest, to the blood and to the nerves and whatever else it needs to speak to, to come and to bring the restoration that that hand needs. It is isolated, it is severed, and therefore it has severed itself from, again, the healing power that comes from being a part of a body. That is crucial to us to understand because this is the reality for the spiritual body of Christ as well. You and I have been identified as different parts of one body. One is an ear, one is an eye, one is a foot, one's a nose, one's a mouth, and we all need one another. You can't be a rogue Christian. You need to be a part of something so that you can know the fullness of what it means to be a body. And just like a physical body, it is very much possible for a part of the body to be exposed to danger or to give itself to danger, to be unwise and for something to happen and to cause harm. 
And just like Christians, there are Christians who uh, are not careful in their walk with the Lord and they give themselves to something or they, they bite into temptation and, and doing so cripples them or hurts them. And sometimes even is at risk of infecting the rest of the body. If you don't take care of a part of the body and you're not giving attention to it, it has the potential of infecting the rest. I say that because here are two scriptures that you're very familiar with, but I want you to consider commonality between them two. Here's James 5. Look at James 5.19. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner... From his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We know that scripture. It's a warning and it's an encouragement to those who are part of a church that if one amongst them wanders away, it's the church's responsibility to do something about it. Here's another familiar passage in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, again, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, Galatians 6.1, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. What are the commonalities between these two scriptures? You might say, well, they both present the warnings and the possibilities of a Christian doing harm to himself spiritually. And that is right. James talks about wandering away. Paul talks about falling into sin. But that's not the similarity that we want to focus on. The similarities that we want to focus on between these two passages and many others is that because of a fallen brother, and if somebody is caught wandering or in sin, the source of rescue and restoration is going to come from other Christians. The rescue and restoration of a fallen or infected or broken or cut open body part is going to come from other body parts. And so there is something of preservation and there is something of healing and there's something of um, nourishment. Yes. But even when things get bad and there's an openness to infection and harm, all of that by God's wisdom is designed within the realm of you being connected to other people. And if you choose not to be connected to other people, you are setting yourself up to be like a sitting duck for the enemy. And so the more I connect myself, the more I keep myself connected with other people, the more I know something of a shielding. Let me put it this way. If you're a Christian, you will commit your life to a local church. That is God's design. And in doing so, you know what that doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that you just come to church maybe three times out of the month and uh, you hear a message because that's what you think church is all about to come and hear the pastor speak and he better he better be better than last time because last time i was getting bored and i was tempted to look at my phone that is not church you might have been sold that through the western idea of it but that is not church the church is in part hearing a message on a regular basis but you as a person committing to a local church are giving other the people the right to keep you in check that's what you're doing so if you're a person who's not in a good place in your faith, even if you're watching this or you're half asleep, or maybe you're not watching this right now, you're going to watch it later, and you are not in the right place spiritually, don't get offended if your leaders or your friends in the church are going to check up on you. Don't get bothered if you're going to get text messages. Don't get bothered if people are going to show up to your door and knock on it and see where you're at. Why? Because the church was designed for you to give your life as an accountability to others. 
to speak into your life. And you might not like the feeling in the moment. You might not, you might ignore those text messages and those emails. But one thing is for certain, God designed it for the body to heal itself and to reach out and to signal when something is not right and for something to be done about it. And it's a beautiful thing. How many people over the ages have been rescued from wandering away because of a faithful brother or sister who reached out? How many new restoration and the grace of God through the mercy and the tenderness and the compassion of another brother or sister in Christ that took the time patiently to restore them? You can't get that on YouTube church. You can't get that on live stream. You might get more done in your house. You might get more time to relax and enjoy your life and do some gardening and stuff on a Sunday, but you will never know a spiritual protection and restoration if you do not commit yourself to relationships of other people who love Jesus. Perhaps you're saying amen throughout this whole message because you're in agreement with this and you don't understand how this could even be a temptation to think that I can uh, pull away from the church. But you'd be amazed to know how the enemy might use this time to tempt some people and to convince them otherwise. Let me repeat the statement that I made first, that these online services are a circumstantial compromise. They are not an ongoing convenience. Why? Because you and I have leaders in our lives to set examples and to be models for us. You and I, if we long for the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, we have to wake ourselves up and we have to get to church. And you never know how God will touch you that day through the worship, through the message, through somebody coming over and praying. You never know. If you want more of God, you're going to want more of church. And lastly, you will not know a protection. You will not know restoration especially in times when you need it. This is for you and I, the local church. Let's pray like Paul and ask God for it to be a reality again and for us to not be separated for much longer. You have every right to pray that even while you're trusting God during the season. So let's connect our hearts and faith and ask God for that. Amen. Amen. Lord, you know what is separating us from one another during these couple of months. But we also know that it is your standard and your plan for the church to meet together physically. We're asking for our government to operate under wisdom. We're asking for this virus to be reversed. And we're asking that we would be together in a way in which we would appreciate the church and the meetings that we have more than before. Don't let us fall into the trap of thinking that this is something uh, that we can consider to be a regular convenience. Lord, keep us in your word and to see what your word says about the church. Lord, for now, though not in person, in heart, keep us united. And we trust, Lord, that we will get the news that we can come again and we can experience all the blessings that are packaged in the local church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.